We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Courtside with Christian Game right here on the Her Who Stats Podcast Network. I am Christy Winter Scott, joined as always by my guy, Dave Ibrahim, and we are chopping it up about the WNBA Finals. One game down, hopefully four more to go, Gabe, but game one was a treat. We, you know, it, it really was a treat, and watching the Chicago team has been a treat. They have so much offensive versatility, just like we do on the Courtside Podcast, because we're on okay. YouTube, where I'm okay. the host, and Chrissy... <laughs> Is the host over here? That's neither here nor there. I'm not doing plugs right now because uh, Phoenix and Chicago. It, un, I think this series is going to be much better than it was in Game One. So I'm really excited for the rest of the way. But man, Kalia freaking Copper. Maybe you can answer this a little better mm-hmm. in the tournament. And I think we talked about this in March Madness in the tournament in the playoffs. Why do players like Kalia Copper really like? How, how do they get going so much more than they? do in the regular season. I mean, she, she was great in this regular season, don't get me wrong, but this level of play against this level of competition is something that we haven't seen from her. I think that's what you see on all levels in any sport in the postseason when, and I don't like saying the others because it's a team game, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know that the defense is going to key in on certain players like a Candace Parker, like a Courtney Vandersloot, and, you know, like an Allie Quigley. They're going to key in on them and try to take their, their game away from them, their sweet spots away from them. But when Kalia Copper comes in and she's just so unpredictable with what she's going to be able to do on the court, she's been the X factor. And I think that's why, you know, you hear Shaquille O'Neal and all those guys in the NBA talking about, hey, the others have to step up in the postseason mm-hmm. because the other ones, the like the, the Candace Parkers, the most experienced players, they're schematically going to be right. taken out of the game sometimes and, and taken out of what they do well. But you know, when you could come in, fly under the radar and be the silent killer for teams, I think that's what Copper has done well. I mean, you just don't know how she's going to hurt you, but you know she's she's going to hurt you. 
And we've seen that in her in this postseason. And, you know, wow, without her, where would Chicago be? Not just in the no. postseason, but down the stretch. Like, where yeah. would they be right now? And I think just her ability to stay confident, her ability to take the charge from Dwayne. I mean, I'm sorry, Dwayne Wade from James, <laughs> from James Wade. I was on the Shaq thing. I was on the Shaq thing I, I was, uh, with, with James Wade. I, I think, you know, he said, we need you at your best. And that's all you have to say to some players. Like, you know, and then the switch is on and it stays on. And I think she's taken that to heart and she's proving it game in and game out. Well, it's funny you mentioned Dwayne Wade. Because I've been waiting to make a Kalia Copper Dwayne Wade comparison. I'm trying to figure it out because obviously they're they're very different players. But what I love about both of them is they're so good in the strong as the third person on the strong mm-hmm. side of a pick and roll. Because that's what Kalia does. She sits in that corner, but often she does a lot of things. She fills the lane great on the on the break, which is very Dwayne Wade esque. But as the strong as the third person in a pick and roll, she just snakes up the three point line get the ball ripped through right to the basket down the baseline. And that is to me, just like indicative of what she does. She does the, the the right play every time. And that's what a lot of the players in Chicago do. So like, if she's supposed to get it and rip through and get to the basket, she'll do that. If she's supposed to crash the offensive board because Skylar Diggins-Smith is on her, she's going to do that. She had five offensive rebounds in the last game. If she has to fill the lane, on a, on a break, she's going to do that too. So I think, yes, she is unpredictable because she's so fast and she can get to spots so much faster than you. So you have no idea how when you're going to have to leave to go to her. But she's also predictable for the offense in the way that she does exactly what the option calls for her to do. So Kalia has just been unbelievable in these playoffs to an extent that even watching her growth over the last two years wouldn't tell you what happened. And I, I just am so in awe of her of her performance and how well she's fit. And I think that's really the story for Chicago throughout these playoffs. When you have a player like that who's fearless, and I think that just really fuels the, the rest of the team. When you see someone just saying, hey, you know what? Forget it. It's time. I'm going to do my best. So now you can't do less than your best yep. when you see your teammate out there killing it. So it's like, okay, I need to, you know, pick up my game. I need to get this job done too and and help her along. And that's what you've seen with Chicago with 24 assists on 36 made shots. I mean, that's just phenomenal efficiency, number one, but that's just great chemistry when you're talking about it. And, you know, when Courtney Vandersloot can get a double-double, you know, she's always been efficient, obviously leading the league in assists, but she had 11 assists, gave in zero turnovers. I mean, who does that? Number one in in any game, but in the finals, like that's just, that's just mesmerizing to me. And she is the one that I think continues to fly under the radar in terms of credit due yeah, and and what she does for this team in terms of setting the table, she can strike whenever she wants to as a scorer, but she's going to help the team, whether she's scoring the ball or not, because she's going to put the team in the best situation to score, whether it's her or her teammates, she knows what to do with the ball. And, and that's just, you know, that's just, I don't know. You can't, you can't say enough about her value to the team. Oh in yeah. That way. No. And she, and so she pushes the pace. She, she just does that. It's what you're saying. She does everything for this team. But what I love too is like, she just, she just knows, she knows exactly when to do everything too. It's not like she's just out here um, kind of gunning it. Cause like first play first, her first basket of the game is she comes out after pick and roll. I think it was Steph Dolson setting the screen. She comes off. She hits the mid-ranger. Rather than getting to the basket, which she did great in this game, rather than passing out maybe to a three-point shot, which 
all, all the analytics tell you three-point shot basket. That's the only shot she, t- she should take. She took a mid-ranger. Why? Because it set up everything else the team did throughout the game on the pick and roll. They had to respect her mid-ranger, uh, Phoenix did. So Phoenix had to come out, and it really opened up the space for either whoever picking and popping in this game of Steph Dolson, who we have to talk about, and getting to the rim for salute herself or passing out to that corner. So just hitting the mid ranger first is like such a, just such a little detail that, Hey, maybe, maybe another point guard doesn't see that. She knows that that's going to really open up the defense for her. Um, and do, can, we talk, can we talk about Seth Dolson now? Absolutely. What happened? <laughs> Six of eight, two for three, 14 points after the series she had against Connecticut, where I come in, coming in, I kind of figured it might be a good series for her. Uh, against Connecticut because of all those bigs and she could play and she really just didn't, she couldn't keep up with John Quell. She couldn't keep up with whoever was at the four, whether it be Alyssa or she even had trouble guarding Brown and Jones in this game. She came in, she guarded the grinder. She hit threes. She popped up the pick and roll. She went to the basket. She had a freaking floater in the lane. Seth Olsen. <laughs> and it's like unbelievable yeah. performance. I, uh, you know, big to big. what do you see with out of Tolson? I mean, she only played 16 minutes and she did all of what she said she did. I mean, I just think she was ready. I mean, like I said, you know, you have these moments where you just say, listen, this is it. And I think you heard Diana Taurasi after the after the Vegas series say, you just have to stop caring. And that yeah. doesn't mean you just say, you know, forget it and you go through the motions. That means you stop caring about, you know, what your efficiency is, even though Dolson was a plus 12. I get it. But you just you're you're not in the mindset uh, statistically, you're in the mindset of what can I do to help the team? That's your mentality, regardless of whoever is looking at it and they say this about it. How can I give my best? And I think that's what Steph Dolson answered the bell to. She said, listen, I'm going to come out there and I'm going to do my best. I mean, she knocked down those threes. Like you said, when Vandersloot got two feet in the paint with the ball, she was able to relocate and find her spots from the outside. And 16 minutes, everyone's like, well, I want playing time, coach. How can I get more playing time? What are you doing with the time that you mm-hmm. are given on the floor? And when you mm-hmm. look at what Steph Dolson was able to do in game one, just do that again. Just <laughs> can it and repeat. I mean, that's what she does well. And I think playing that 3v3, she spoke of this uh, over the summer in Tokyo, playing that 3v3 style. She said, you know, she was able to think faster on the floor, you know, because everything mm-hmm. was just times 10 in terms of speed in the 3v3 um, style of play. So. I just think it's uh, it's just great to see her at her best when the team needs for her to be that off the bench. I, I got a question for you on on three on three because I agree and and she played in this game because of the spacing Chicago's able to get because they have shooters on the weak side. You're basically right. playing three on three. You're right. playing three on three with Courtney Vandersloot and either Ali Quigley or Kalia Copper in the corner. So as a coach, like how how does how do you use three on three to to teach? five on five, like how, how do you, how um, translatable is the, are the games there? Oh, it's big time. I mean, you know, as a coach myself, every day we do some three on three, like mm-hmm. we break it down. We go one V one, two V two, three V three, four V four shell. And before we do anything five V five, because right. I think it just teaches you the principles in terms of where to be defensively, number one, and offensively, where to space yourself. I, I think it teaches both sides. So it's it's really something that's extremely necessary. I don't care what level you're coaching. 
you have to break the game down. You can't just roll mm-hmm. the ball out there 5v5 and, oh, okay, here, let's get this. No, you have to break it down. And we've heard even Coach Tebow with the Washington Mystics, yeah. he has said that too, right? When they had that big gap of time because of the Olympic break, it was like five weeks or something. He said they did a lot of back to the basics. Okay, and this is WNBA. So we're not talking about, oh, okay, high school level, okay, college level. No, you go back to the basics and get yourselves correct in terms of your spacing, in terms of your timing, in terms of when and why you move to certain places on offense and defense. And I, you know, I just love the breakdown of game of the game and with the three V three style. But I think when they went to Tokyo with it and the rules mm-hmm. uh, were so fast paced, I know we watched that and I was just in awe of how fast it was and how quick your decisions needed to be made. So for a player like Steph Dolson to have played that style and practice that style coming into this season, I think it's really helped her game in terms of making quicker decisions and just being where she needs to be on offense and defense. Yeah. And I hope there's more and then three on three is definitely grown. Uh, the three V yeah. or is it three X three? That's what it's called. Three X three. The three I know. X- I always say three V three. I, that's just <laughs> my vernacular. <laughs> That's the playground vernacular. We have to we have to grow up. More, <laughs> yeah. It's more sophisticated now. That's what I'm saying. It's like there's sophisticated opportunities to play 3x3. Like we're seeing a lot of yeah. college stars being able to play on Team USA for 3x3. We're seeing a lot more um, opportunities to play legit three-on-three games with mm-hmm. refs in that style. And I think it's just gonna, I think it's gonna change the game a little bit more. The players like yeah. Steph Dolson, who can be a little bit more if you can pop and you can roll, man, like. You're gold as a big, you're gold as a big. Um, So I think it's really going to change the game and push it more towards players like Dolson, like your quicker, smaller guards who can get to the rim when there's less spacing. So I'm, I'm a big fan of three X three. I think we're seeing it show up with Steph Dolson. The other thing I was thinking about while you were talking about Steph Dolson was (laughs) Stephanie Dolson, uh, Kalia Copper, both in the Elena Deladon trade. Yeah. And you look back on that and look, hey, yeah. uh, let me let you in on a little secret. It did work out for Washington. Uh, I don't I know if you guys, <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember the championship that they won. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's crazy. Like this is one of the best trades I think you can find um, in in basketball history. Like if Kalia Copper wins the finals MVP Man. and Stephanie Dolson has a big series. And then two years ago, we had Elena Deldon leading her team, her new team, to a championship. And this, yeah. again, this is the first time Chicago has been back since that trade. And these two yeah. making a big deal. I don't, I don't know if I have a question here. It's just really cool to think about how that trade, at the, at the moment it happened, it seemed like it was so bad for Chicago and they didn't have... You know, they didn't get the proper value. And look, it's a star. A star wants out. You have to trade them and, and you're not going to get the proper value. But to get two players contributing meaningfully in a finals game is unbelievable to me. So kudos to Chicago and Pokey. Uh, I do was Pokey making that trade? I don't even know who made the trade. I think it was. I think it yeah, was well, Pokey. Yeah. And I don't know. If she, yeah. I, she was, she was, she didn't get, she got let go. What? Two years, a year after. I, mean, after I don't remember. That. Yeah. It was after that. Yeah. But she made that trade. I think she, mm-hmm. she got, she needs a little bit of uh, revisionist history. Cause this is not, <laughs> this is working out pretty well for Chicago. 
Yeah, not bad. And, you know, you have to also give kudos to Mike Tubal because he had his eyes on Steph Dolson and Talia yeah. Copper coming out of college, right, and drafted them both. And, you know, he just has such a keen eye on the skill set and what it takes to play in the WNBA. And, and with Copper, I loved her in D.C. Yeah. I mean, man, I just knew she had such an incredible upside. And I'm not saying that because now she's doing what she's doing on yeah. the floor. No, I, I saw her at Rutgers before that even. And saw that she just had every year evolved a piece of her game and and just really competed with herself to get better year after year after year and added the three-point shot to her game, which she did not have um, when she was at Rutgers until her senior season. And so I just think it's really fun to, to watch players from their freshman year in college to now a seasoned player in the WNBA, uh, both for Steph Dolson and, yep. and Copper, but for Copper in particular, you know, really tracking her all four years at Rutgers and then, you know, seeing her be drafted to DC and, and wearing a Mystics uniform and just seeing the incredible flashes of what the future could be for her in the league. I think it's fun to see her where she is now. And Steph Dolson, how, I mean, big mama Steph. I, I just big love her. Steph. So oh, yeah. much. I mean, she's always engaging to my kids and just, you know, just a, a great person and great energy to be around. Like in practice, they would have like the post and guards would split up game. And she was like, um, post up, guards down or whatever. Way, but she would yell it, but she would yell it. And I want to go out there because she's like, post up, guards down or whatever like that. But it's just, you know, you got to have some some levity, you know, it's a game after all. But she just had such a great spirit on the floor in practice when everyone's probably tired and everything like that. But she just brought that level of fun to the game. And, and you love to see that purple hair stuff. Dolson, bring it back. <laughs> yeah. Glad you don't bring it back now. Cause everything's working out next yeah, year. Don't do that. The title. <laughs> I'm going to, I need to get in touch with Steph Dolson so I can tell her to bring back the purple hair. Um, <laughs> she also like, is, yes, she is jovial and likable. And I think she's an awesome player to have on your team chemistry wise. Yeah. She makes everyone that plays against her extremely upset though. Like, I, I don't think I've ever watched a game with Steph Dolson where her opponent was not mad at her for something. <laughs> and, you know, like, okay, you can get, you can say, oh, you close the problem. But I love that out of my big. I yeah. want my big to be pissing people off on the other end. <laughs> and, you know, she, look, I'm sure she does some things that uh, some people sure. would think are untoward. She definitely sets some illegal screens. I see, I see her grabbing at pant legs. When, when people are getting away from her, she does it so well. She's learning how to foul without getting a foul called on you is a skill. Yeah. Diane Tarasi could tell you all about that. And Steph yeah. Dolson does it. And she makes everyone mad around her. And like she, it, Brittany Griner was upset uh, in the middle of the game. Obviously they're losing, but she, she was mad at Steph Dolson. And I love that about right. um, Dolson. So it, it, she's great. Copper's great. Great trade. Hey, things work yeah. out sometimes in life. Things work out sometimes. Like we should move over to the Phoenix, though, um, where yeah. things did not work out in this game. No. Uh, I mean, is this to you? Is this just a schedule? Is this a schedule loss? Like you know, they played on. They played a really, really intense game on Friday. They had to come back on Sunday. Fly uh, right? Yeah, they had to fly from Vegas to Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, Diana Taurasi just had a baby the day before. Sophie Cunningham was out. Uh, Kia Nurse was out, obviously Kia Nurse out for the rest of the playoffs, Unfortunately. had major depth issues coming in. So, I mean, how are you 
concerned? Like, is, did this game change your feeling about the series now, or, or are you just chalking this up to kind of a schedule loss? I mean, if you if you heard from Sandy Brondello and, and both Diana Taurasi, both of them after the game, they said, hey, we're not going to use fatigue as an excuse. But the reality of the situation is what it is. And they did have a grueling series, five game series with Vegas and got that one possession win. So, yeah, they had to grind that out and then fly. And then, oh, my gosh, the emotion for Diana Taurasi. I, I saw her in the post game uh, presser and she was talking about how, yeah, I mean, the baby was born at 424 a.m. Um, so Penny held held her in until <laughs> Diana got there like she asked her to. But I just think, you know, the emotion of that, I'm sure, is heavy. Um, as well as coming off of of that series. So I think if anyone can get through that, it's it's the GOAT, Diana mm-hmm. Taurasi, who was named the W25 GOAT uh, at halftime of that game. So I, I just think that, yes, I don't think it's an excuse, but I think you're going to see a, a totally different team in Phoenix in the next game because they've had some rest. They have their legs under them now um, after having more than a couple of days to, you know, walk through some things, but also get your feet up, get your legs up, get some real rest and recovery. And, you know, when they're fresh, they're at their best. Yeah. So I think game two is going to be a different deal. And I don't think it, it by any means ruined the series, but I think it really gave them um, a good look at what they needed to do better. They had to shoot the ball yeah. better. They only shot 43%, 44% from the floor, but they gave up 54%, mm-hmm. you know, well, 53% from the floor, to Chicago and they just have to take them out of their comfort zone. I mean, they can't have 24 assists. They have to be yeah. more disruptive on the perimeter. And I think that's where it starts with Vandersloot. We have to do a better job of containing her. And, and not that, you know, Kia nurse, it was their, I think their best perimeter defender. Yes. So with her out now with an ACL, that's detrimental more than anything to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but with Sophie Cunningham coming back, that kind of gives you a little bit of a bonus, a little bit more depth, on the perimeter, but everyone else is going to have to dig in defensively for Phoenix on the perimeter. They just have to contain better. They just have to be more disruptive in terms of paint touches uh, for the guards from Chicago. But I'm really looking forward to game two to see the adjustments that are made that way, Mm -hmm. but also to see a fresh legged Phoenix Mercury team. Yeah, no, for the fresh legs, I think are the biggest thing. And, uh, but the thing you talked about, I think you touched on this a few times um, is the perimeter defense for Phoenix is rough right now because Kia Nurse was by far their best um, perimeter defender. We saw when she went out in the mm-hmm. last series, Chelsea Gray was able to get whatever she wanted. And it's because Kia Nurse is so physical at the point of attack. And she really, I, I don't know if the people know what this word, like a buttress, you know, you know what a buttress is? No, talk buttress. to me. What is that? Oh, so you, you've been to, I mean, you've, you've probably seen these in churches where it's like the, the, it's like a post that comes up from the side of the wall. It's like, support the wall and push it oh up. yeah yeah so she but she buttressed oh, the defense okay. from phoenix yeah sorry i, I was <laughs> i got reading. you no i, I got was reading it. something yeah. about fall, flying buttresses so that word was in my head uh <laughs> it's cool stuff if you don't know what a flying buttress is look it up i am going to look it up when we're done I, I, yeah <laughs> had not heard we, about that yeah we can go to a church they're really beautiful um however the Kia Nurse was a huge deal for this perimeter defense. And yeah. Sophie Cunningham is going to help, but it really has to come from Diane Trost and Scott Dick Smith having their best defensive games of the season right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, five fouls for Diana Trossi cannot happen again because they need her on the offensive end, most importantly, but they also need her on the defensive end because there's not just there's not that many options to really put out there defensively. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And Skyler, I mean, Skyler got torched a couple times. She was minus 21 in this game. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really tough for her, but she, she just doesn't have a good matchup against Courtney Vandersloot. She needs to be on someone more like an Allie Quigley so she can chase her around because she's not a point of attack defender. So Sophie Cunningham is going to have to come up huge is the point of what I'm, what I'm saying. Yes. Sophie Cunningham is going to have to come up huge. Bria Hartley is going to have to come up huge. Bria had a really tough game. And again, where I'm great, I'm not, I'm not giving Bria Hartley any, any gr- grief or anything. Like she, by all accounts, like should not be out. There. <laughs> like she just came back from an ACL injury. If this was the regular season, she wouldn't be playing as much, but they need her and they need yeah. her to step up. Um, and if they're going to win, I, I think it's going to be on Hartley and Cunningham stopping that point of attack. Um, because Shea Petty also had trouble there, but we'll see. I mean, you know, I, I brought up getting Brittany Griner some more early touches, slow down the pace a little bit more. I think they have solutions here. I think they have ways to get back in this series, but if it doesn't, if these guards don't have a defensive game in their lives, I'm not quite sure how to get back into game two, to be honest. Yeah, it's just super tough. I mean, you heard Diana Taurasi after the game also saying, hey, I didn't take good care of the basketball, especially in the yeah, first half. Nice. I mean, she ended up with six turnovers. Kia Vaughn came off the bench and she had five turnovers, Gabe. Oh, and, and that's pretty much what they had, 18 turnovers. And, and right there is 11. So I, I think with um, them doing a better job of preserving the basketball mm-hmm. possessions, I think that's going to be a telling tale as well. Yes, their defense has to be on point. Yes, Sophie Cunningham has to answer the bell defensively first and if she can get hot offensively that's cherry on top but they have to do a better job of taking good care of the basketball they can't have chicago uh, forcing them into turnovers where they're off to the races because that's what they want chicago wants that space and they want that pace of play and the only way they get it is in live ball turnover situations and off the glass so that's where they were really good in game one and now Phoenix understanding that, okay, we got to take care of the basketball because that's, you know, 11 possessions between two players mm-hmm. in Kia Vaughn and, and Diana Taurasi that they went the other way. And that can't happen in game two or they're going to have the same result. Yeah, no, for sure. The, the taking care of the ball. It, it's it, that those things though, to me are things you can fix at the yes. very least, at the yeah. very least, those are things you can fix. So it, it I think it'll be better uh, for Phoenix. I just don't, I'm I'm hoping they can get over the hump so we get some more games out of this series. Um, but to me, it's it just it's hard to it's hard to really uh, pin down if they're gonna be able to do it just because they have so much depth issues without yeah. without Kia Nurse. Um, I, I want to challenge Brianna Turner as well. I mean, we came we okay. we sang her phrases when she was doing great. Then you yeah. a little bit more from her. Um, she she got going there in the second half. She had four rebounds. Uh, it, it's, it was a fine second half. She needs to do it all four quarters because she's the energy mm-hmm. piece here. She's the she person is. who's bringing that defensive energy. Who's, who's stopping those pick and rolls. So she needs to be um, significantly better and more impactful. Um, Shea Petty too. I mean, we, we love Shea Petty. And obviously mm-hmm. I think you said this before, like Shea Petty's being asked to do so much more than you ever expected from her. And she's delivering like she was four yes. for six in this game. It's just yeah. defensively, I, you just gotta get a body on Courtney Vandersloot. I mean, you know, yes. this like I don't have a good way for you to win other than just being kind of a bully. This is gonna be a physical. This has to be more physical, I think, mm-hmm. for Phoenix, right? Like, am, am I wrong in thinking that? Like, the more physical the game is, the higher chance Phoenix has to win. I think so. I mean, you know, Chicago is pretty physical too, though. Yeah, they so, are. I mean, you saw saw Candace Parker take that charge and and look over to Lisa Leslie like, hey, I'm taking charges now and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's going to be physical both ways, but I'm trying to think of which team would benefit from it being excessively physical. And 
I think it would be Phoenix. Just for I the think pace. they would benefit. Yes, I think they would benefit more if they were in a, a quarter court game instead of mm-hmm. a free flowing, fast paced, push the ball ahead and secondary offense. Uh, that Chicago wants. I think they want to be in the mud with it. I think they want to have a half court yeah. game and and use as much of the clock as possible because, you know, you don't talk about that enough. Like uh, a big piece of pace control is also how long you, you have the ball on offense. Right. That's a great defense, right? If you don't allow a team like Chicago, like if you take quick shots, that's what Chicago wants. They want you to take small chunks out of the shot clock so that they can go down and score quickly. If you turn it over, that's even better because now there's less time for you to to get the ball back or get second chance opportunities off the glass. So, you know, the more clock that Phoenix can use in the quarter court, let's really go through our offenses, get to the second side and maybe the third side and really get some good ball reversals and and utilize a lot of that shot clock. And then fight for a second opportunities. I don't think they got to the offensive boards enough. If Griner and Turner can get in there and Cunningham for that matter, can get in there and get to the boards and get some offensive rebounds and kick it out and get a fresh 14 and squeeze some more time out of the clock. That's good defense. That's good defense because you're taking opportunity away from Chicago. Yeah. And they need a box. I mean, just on the offensive rebounding point, they just need a box out too. Like that's, it's part of being physical. It's just getting a body on someone because Clea Copper ran in. And like I mentioned, five offensive rebounds. Most of the time she was just running in from the three point line unabated. No one had a body on her. And it's like, I rally you just foul, like take her, like, Obviously, don't hurt anybody, but like right. get your get your hip into her, like get something on her. Like you may draw a foul, but at least she's not running unimpeded to the basket. Where Brittany exactly. Griner is trying to get the rebound, um, so that that's going to be huge. I, I'm agreeing with you. Like I think they Phoenix bring it down to the mud, or just I guess you could slow it down. But you need it, you need a little yeah. bit of you know. Uh, I think I think this <laughs> Phoenix team gets going when they get hit in the mouth a little bit. Not the Chicago. Yeah. Chicago's tough as hell. I'm not saying they're not, but they just, are. Yeah, I just think Phoenix, it punch in the face Phoenix is better than Phoenix trying to keep up with someone. And I think that's right. what they're they're gonna have to do. They're just gonna have to punch you in the face and hope that they can out physical you. Um it's it's tough though, because like it's hard to slow. First off, it's hard to slow down Courtney Vandersloot if she does not want to be slowed down. She mm-hmm. gets the offense going at 22 on made shots. So yeah. it's like, okay, we're passing yeah. the court and the offense is already in their first action three seconds into the shot clock. So right. it's hard to slow her down, period. And then even if you slow her down, she's so smart and so technically gifted that she can still pick you apart. So yeah, made, made shots, man. It's it's uh, it's I know it's not great analysis, but Phoenix needs to make more shots. They just no, do. It's, it's bottom line. That's bottom a made, line. A made basket is great defense. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So it, I know it's not great analysis, but they, they really just need to make uh, more shots and make more timely buckets and get easier baskets. And I, I think it'll happen. I mean, I know it's a, what was this? A fifth, what's 91 minus 77. This is a 15 point game. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Maximize, maximize those possessions, you know, and squeeze that clock. I, I think that's going to be a key. And I think you, you may see Phoenix doing that a little bit more uh, just to just to make sure that Chicago doesn't have as many possessions. I mean, they had 68 attempts from the floor. Chicago did. And yeah. And Phoenix had 62, which isn't bad. But I mean, that's that's 12 points that they game. score, you know, 16 points, you know, 12, 16 points that they score on those uh, extra opportunities that they're given. So, I mean, you ha- you have to maximize your opportunities, but also play with pace and slow it down. If that's the pace you want to play, you don't want to play an up and down game with Chicago. 
So, no. yes, you can try to control it defensively, which is a part of it. But I think the bigger factor and the biggest piece of the pie for Phoenix is to really, really squeeze that shot clock and take shots less than eight seconds on the shot clock. Give yourself a chance to get to the offensive board and, and get it again. Yeah. And for the stat heads out there, just just so everyone knows, uh, during the regular season, Chicago was third in pace. Phoenix was 11th in pace. So that Phoenix wants to play slower. We all know this, and they're going to have to figure yes. out a way to do that in 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 game two. Um, do you just want to tell people our predictions? I, I'm, I'm picking Phoenix, close one. I just I want to see it. I don't think they're going to lose twice um, at home. I don't think it's going to happen. So I'm going. I'm going Phoenix. Uh, are you going Phoenix as well? I am. I'm going Phoenix. I, I just think that they're too competitive to yeah. have what happened in game one happen again. And I also think it's going to be a close game. But I mean, you can't count Chicago out either. But I think Phoenix is going to eke one out. They're at home again. Uh, they have their legs under them. I think that's going to be a key factor. And the adjustments are going to be made schematically on both sides for them. And I think if they can control the pace, they can definitely even up the series at one one and and also give us what we want is uh, you know which is a long series. Yeah. I <laughs> hope it's a long just, series. <laughs> I hope this isn't just wishful thinking from us, but I really, I really, I genuinely think that Phoenix has a good chance of yeah. fixing what ailed them. Um, I did want to talk about something else though outside of the game. Um, I know it's the finals and we're we're big on the on the on the basketball obviously, but there's two things that came up that I think we need to talk about. So the the goat thing you mentioned, Diana Trossi named goat. At yeah. halftime or after the first quarter, which WNBA, what are we doing here? But neither here nor there. I want to talk about just the idea of naming a goat and okay. kind of it, it seems like it's official. Like you, Ryan uh, Ruko calls her the goat, you know, just like not arguably the goat, the goat. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to know, like, what do you think of the WNBA naming a greatest of all time? Because to me, I'm a little, I'm a little turned off by it. I don't, I don't want it. I don't think the league should be telling me who the greatest player is. The whole point, like one of the reasons you talk about who's the GOAT is because it's fun and you get to talk about it with other people. But also it, it's fun to not have someone to argue. Like people can say, oh, I think Jordan's the GOAT and then we talk about that. Or I think, you know, right. I think Diana Tross is the GOAT and then we can talk about that. But if it's like, oh, the league has named her the GOAT, it feels just a little bit dismissive to the conversation and to the other players in that conversation. Bono, how do you, how do you feel about it? I mean, as a voter, <laughs> I mean, there are votes. It's not just the league, you know, one person coming up with the idea. I mean, there were several people who were asked to vote, which, you know, for me, yeah, it's not one of my most favorite things to do about anything because I see all the different sides and how the voting all the different was factors. It, did you vote just for the goat or did you vote for the top twenty five? Top twenty five. Okay, I gave us. I, like I love the top twenty five. I love that. Yeah. That's cool. That's a cool idea. Yeah, but we had. I think it was either. I think it was seventy two. 72, I think, um, nominees to get to 25. And that was excruciating for me. Do you know how long it took for me to get to 25 (laughs) from 72? You know me very well, Gabe. You know that I I was like, I had a migraine after I sat down with that for hours and asking, you know, my kids, like, hey, what do you think? And and not, you know, that I was going to go with what they have, but I was bouncing ideas off like, well, we'll look at this. We'll look at that. And they had all their stats and you know, their career numbers and, and all of that. And when it came down to it for me, like everyone else has their own opinion of how they calculated and and got to their vote. But for me, it was about the fierceness of Diana Taurasi that, that took her over the top for me. And that's not discounting 
a Cynthia Cooper who only played in the league game for four years, but won a championship <laughs> in each of those four <laughs> years. And golly, man, I can like, okay, had she played 19 years, would she be the GOAT? Or had she played 15, 15 years, would she be the GOAT? Or her WNBA I, career starts when she's that, younger. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's hard when it's, the league is so young. It's 25 years old. The league's 50 years old. Cynthia Cooper played, you know, 15, 16 years and had this incredible WNBA career and won all, every, all the awards and MVPs and everything like that. Yeah, that would factor in. But guess what? That didn't happen. Unfortunately, I mm -hmm. wish it would have happened, but unfortunately it didn't. And so that's it was really tough in that way because you're you're really looking at all the different eras. And I heard Lisa Leslie say something to Holly Rowe prior to that game. And she was saying, like, she felt like it was disrespectful to have a goat because everyone is, you know, has really committed themselves to do great things for the game and the WNBA. And I agree with that as well. But at the same time, when you're asked, yeah. we need, we need one. <laughs> and it's not like, I mean, for me, I'm like, I'm gonna give you 15. You ask me for yeah. one, I'm gonna give you 15 reasons why these 15 are worthy of, and it's just, it was really difficult. But I think when you are asked to give one, you've got to come to it and boil it yeah. down as tough as that is. And, and go ahead and give it to the one who you feel offers the best example of how the game should be played. And I think that goes beyond stats. That goes beyond plus minus. For me, it's longevity. For me, it's success. For me, it's the fire and just the fervor that Diana Taurasi brings to the game and, and the focus. Like to be focused is one thing, but to sustain that focus over the course of time and her ability to do that and be in the finals and to be a leader, taking her team back to the finals yet again, in spite of all the adversity Phoenix has had all season, man, come on. I yeah. think you just have to tip your hat. You have to tip your hat uh, of respect to her and what she's been able to do. But in doing that, that doesn't mean that the other players are not worthy of being goats. Because Tisha Panchero, to me, is also a goat. Lisa Leslie, right. also a goat. Maya Moore, like uh, Tamika Catching. These are just the ones who... At the top of my uh, tip of my tongue are right there, too. And, and Cynthia Cooper, like, man, I, I don't know. It's just hard to, to take people off the list. Yeah. It's hard to take them off. It's easy to put them on the list to be a GOAT. But it's you know, super hard to take them off. I'll tell you that. But for me, it was Tarasi. And, and that's what the league, I guess other people had had to decide like I did and and decided with Tarasi as well. No, and I, I and I like what you you, you de defined what you were voting for, which is what I yeah. like. Yes. Crucially here, there wasn't a definition for what we're voting for as fans. So it was like, what, who's your goat? And it's like, okay, to me, you know, I have these thoughts and like, we talk about this all the time, but it's just like, I don't understand the question. Cause if you're asking me <laughs> like, who is the, or the, the player who most impacted winning by the metrics Okay. Uh, and, and like we're talking about uh, VORP, we're talking about wins over replacement, we're talking about uh, a few different um, analytics things. Like by most of those metrics, the person who impacted winning the most is Cynthia Cooper, right? So yeah, it, four it was years, easy. four championships, four, four years, four, four championships. championships, dominant Dang. offensively, 
decent yeah. enough defensively, did everything for that team, was a leader on that team, bada bing, bada boom. So if we're going with the analytics, hey, cool, all right, I got my answer. But if you're asking me who had the biggest impact on the game, like that, that's the thing for me is like you have to define these conversations. And it happens right. on the NBA side too, where it's like, hey, if we're talking about person who had to face who in the face of adversity succeeded the most, so it's Bill Russell. That's easy. No one had to go through more than what Bill Russell did at the beginning of his career because he was playing when he was one of the only black people on the team. So if we're, if we're grading on that curve of like, all right, who, who faced the most adversity and overcame it? Clearly it's Bill Russell here. I would say it's clearly, you know, the Cynthia Cooper, Cheryl Swoops. All those players came right. in at the beginning of, of the league and had to face yeah. a lot more discrimination, had to face a lot more, uh, had to face a lot less investment. I'm not saying Diana Trossi didn't go through that. I'm not saying that Sue Bird didn't go through that, but those people had to carry those flags early on, especially as black women. They faced the most adversity. So if you're asking me for that goat, Hey, this is a different one. So to me, I just think it's, I didn't think it, it, it's not that it's disrespectful. I just think it's not appropriate. I, I don't think you, you should, I don't think someone should be saying, Hey, here's the go, because that doesn't make sense. If you're saying, Hey, here is the best, best, because great and de- best are different. In That's my true. Opinion. Great and best are different. If you're talking about the best, well, hey, like, yeah, well, we can have a discussion about Diane Taurasi to make a catchings mm-hmm. or I don't, I don't, we can throw whoever you want in this conversation, mine more, <laughs> right? Like if you're talking about most longevity, then we have to talk about Sue Bird and, and Diane Taurasi. So to me, it was just, I, I didn't think it was appropriate. I thought the tw- the top 25 is really fun. We've seen that right. done across leagues. I think that's awesome. I think it's great to honor people. I think it's cool that we get to debate about people left yeah. out of this list. Yes. And, and that's awesome. But I just think to to announce one player as your end all be all coming from the league to me it, it is just a bit it, it's a bit much, uh, especially to say they're the greatest of all time because you know time continues. I don't know if people like it's, yeah. I don't yeah. want to get into my like time travel theories, but time continues. Time goes on to the future. So in ten years when we do the WNBA thirty five. And Diane Taurasi is still the greatest of all time. Well, right. how does that affect things? Like, how do we, does it, how does that affect? Are we going to do a new goat vote? Are we doing goat vote every 10 years? How did, yeah. how are we supposed to take in the goat? So to me, I just didn't, I didn't like that activity. I thought the top 25, the W25 was awesome. Uh, that was yeah. really cool. Those jackets were really, really cool. Amazing. Um, amazing. Uh, and you know what was also cool? All of the players are still active on this list. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, three of them are playing in the series that we're watching. In the series. Yeah. I think just like beyond the, the GOAT thing and if you liked it or not, like have, being able to see that and understanding how much history we're watching and how we're watching the best players that have ever played this game mm-hmm. is important to remember. Absolutely. I mean, you have to give respect where respect is due. And I think, you know, going back to what Lisa Leslie said, in terms of being disrespectful, I think there's a ton of respect for yeah. the former players. You saw Vegas bring back players all season long and give them their flowers. And I just think that it's it's really great to give the influencers of today a peek at what it took to get the league to where it is right now. Because a lot of them are like, well, here are the greatest players in the last five years because that's mm-hmm. when I started getting involved with the league. Like Before that, I had no idea. But for those of us who were there from day one, right, we may not have had social media day one of the WNBA to be able to push the the idea in front of people as as much as it's available to do now. You have to give uh, a good context. You have to give respect to those players who came before the ones who are currently being named. And I think you have to do your homework. I think you have to 
you know, understand that social media has been a, a tremendous vehicle for many, right, to get more exposure and get more eyeballs on the game, which I love. And I mean, it's not that, okay, when you're looking at players in the NBA, like Robert Ory, who has six rings, right? (laughs) Six rings. And and then you look at Rebecca Brunson, who has five rings, the only player ever in the history of the league to have five rings, but she's not in the top 25. She should be, but she's not in the top 25. So there's always, like you said, a, a great discussion about who was snubbed, who should be on this list, uh, you know, and it's, and it's tough. It's tough. I mean, why can't we, and I understand what you're saying. Why can't we just honor the greats for what they did in their certain eras, like a Bill Russell, like a Dr. J, right? Like a Michael Jordan, Kobe, late, great, yeah. iconic Kobe, like, right? And like Coop and, and Swoops and, and you know, heck, Maya Moore and all, did Waylon. Yes. You can go down the list of comparisons. Exactly. But that doesn't mean that, you know, by by not naming them as the goat, that doesn't mean that you're smacking all those other names in the face like you're you are respecting them. But if you're being asked for a delineation (laughs) between everybody and you can only choose one, got to choose one, man. And I would be anxious to see like what the players they should have the players vote. You know, the ones who played (laughs) against these people. Right. And it's it's one thing like for me to be there from day one, from that first jump ball, L.A., New York. I was watching that. I was I was in it. Right. So I've seen all those players from day one to now. I called the game where Lauren Jackson had like 47 in D.C. I was sitting there mesmerized watching her just go off with hands in her face like it was incredible. So is she to go? Like, I don't know. Like, I've seen some amazing, <laughs> amazing, amazing performances. But that doesn't discount those performances. You know, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot in the league. And, you know, being asked to choose one was excruciating for me because I I, I typically love the cornucopia of all the different kinds of players. And it's hard to say, well, I like the apple the best. Or no, because then there's that orange that looks pretty darn good too. So I don't know. It's it's tough for me, but you know, I'm we sure got, it's tough for everybody else too. I just got an idea for off season because we don't we don't really have time to do so. But I want to draft. I want to draft our 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 teams from this list. Okay. W twenty five. I want to right. do a quick draft. Um, spoilers. Like look it. at the first pick. I'm taking Maya Moore. But <laughs> never heard of life. If I get Maya Moore into me catching, no one's ever going to score on us. Yeah, Neither here nor there. I, all right, last thing I want to talk to you about before we go okay. because we're running out of time. But Athletes Unlimited, did you see this? Um, I did not talk to you. Okay, so Athletes Unlimited, they do um, player-run sports leagues. So they have softball, they have volleyball. Really good product, like a really fun product to watch. I've been enjoying the softball and volleyball, even though I'm not softball. Well, actually, I am a volleyball person. Not a softball person. I am becoming one. They just announced a new women's basketball league to take place uh, Christy's face. I'm going to get this for a video. <laughs> they just announced a new women's basketball league. It's not going to compete with the WNBA. It's going to compete with overseas league. So it's outside the WNBA season. It's going to get underway next year. Natasha Cloud is one of the first three players to join alongside Sydney Colson and Ty Young. They're scheduled to debut in January and it's not going to overlap with the WNBA season, as I mentioned. And it's uh, pretty much all of the details we have so far. They're getting, um, they're still getting players involved. And a former Nike executive, Elaine Hauser, 
and 15 years of experience in the women's basketball section is overseeing this. So this is very legit. It's very exciting. It is meant to create an opportunity for players to make money in the offseason that doesn't require them going overseas. Um, one would imagine that, well, I'm guessing, I don't know how the payment structure works. I don't know how much money they have backing them. They certainly have a great group of people around to help, but, uh, the, um, I'm guessing it's not going to be paying as much to begin with as those overseas leagues, but it could get there. And I'm, I'm wondering, how do you feel about this from, from our perspective in as WNBA fans and as college basketball fans? Wow. First of all, I'm marinating on all of that because it takes me a minute to process all. <laughs> it's a lot. But I, <laughs> that is a lot. But I love the fact that it's Sid Colson, Natasha Cloud, and Ty Young. I mean, I love all three of them immensely. And I know that they wouldn't be dabbling in something that wouldn't be viable. So I'm excited for the opportunity because, I mean, I had to play overseas for three mm-hmm. years. And while I enjoyed the culture shock of it all, and the love and basketball of it all, um, it was very isolating. Yeah. And I know their creature comforts now have kind of eased that tension. But I also know with Megan Gustafson, I talked to her right after um, the Mystics um, regular season. And she was like, I'm leaving next week yeah. to go overseas. And I'm like, wow, you know, the turnaround of that and to be away from your family and to, you know, that's tough, man. And especially now with everything going on with COVID and all these other things, I would love I know. to have had the chance. I would have loved to have the chance to stay in the States and play. And with the WNBA being here, obviously in the States, I think it may be good just to, you know, I think it'll have more eyes on it than we think, you know, I think we'll, we'll be able to, yeah. you know, track the current WNBA players a little bit easier. And I know social media gives us a chance, but it's hard to, know when the games are and the time differences are tough to to watch the games but wow if you have a team in atlanta or something like that that means their families can go watch them play that means they're not disconnected you know from their friends and family i, I think i think i like it and sorry if i'm like i feel like no I'm no no out all my thoughts at once but no i'm collecting I, my I, thoughts I, on this too thinking about it yeah i no. love it i think it's gonna be good it's four. So there's going to be 44 players. So the, here's what the, the, uh, who is this? I don't know how to pronounce her name and I'm sorry, but one of the people in charge says, uh, it will be 44 elite players, um, for this, for this first year. Um, and then they'll see how it goes. And I think, um, I'm a huge fan of this. I I'm pretty sure the way it works is they travel around the country, um, okay. as a group. So you don't have like a home team. It's just, you're going, you're basically going on tour, let me, yeah, you, there's like the team, the players draft it. So I'm sure Natasha Cloud will get her own team. There'll be Team Cloud. Uh, and then they'll travel around the country um, playing each other. And I think it's so cool. I think it's this is a cool way for sports to work it is yeah. a preliminary matter because like you take away a lot of the stadium costs, you take away a lot of the year round costs, you make it easier, uh, more accessible for people in areas of the country that maybe don't get a lot of sports to go watch it. You get to test different markets. I think it's a great model. It's working really well in the other sports, as I mentioned. I think for basketball, I think it's going to be great for the game. Like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. I, I love, I like watching Euro league. It is tough for me to watch though. Like the Turkish league, I love watching Fenerbahce, but it's, it's kind of tough for me to find their games and see what's happening. And there's no announcer or there's announcer talking in Turkish. And it's like, well, I don't understand (laughs) what you're saying. I don't, it's tough to get the stats. So there's a bunch of different things. I'm not trying to take Mm -hmm. away anything from European basketball because 
outside of our WNBA world on this in, in the over here, like there's some great leagues and some great teams overseas. Right. They play really cool. I, I hope that I hope we continue having an overseas tradition in women's basketball, but having mm-hmm. the option to stay here is huge for the That's fans huge. and the players, as you're mentioning. And hopefully we can get out to a game. Hopefully they come yeah. to DC. We'll see. Oh, I'm all right. And Natasha Cloud's in charge, so I'm sure it's coming to DC. I'm sure we're, go- I'm sure we're going to Philly, and I'm sure we're going to DC. Um, <laughs> Natasha Cloud has a hand in it, uh, but it, I think it's great. I hope I hope it um, it goes really well this first year. And I, I think these are these are folks that know what they're doing. If you're looking at this and you're like, oh, this is a new league, like this isn't going to work or whatever, like these people know what they're doing and they understand exactly. the what they have in front of them and the opportunity they have in front of them. So I'm yeah. really, really excited. I don't, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves mm-hmm. in the WNBA finals, um, but yeah. it'll be interesting. And it'll be interesting too to see how it interacts with the college season. I think there's a there's a there's a there's a good way to kind of make it symbiotic and make sure you're putting on basketball when you don't have basketball, like. Give me some basketball in that week between the conference championships and the NCAA tournament. I right. love that. Cause I'm sitting there. Usually I'm like, I need, you know, I'm watching different tape. It's like, I need live basketball. I'm like, you know, I'm an addict. Right. right? Like we need it. So, <laughs> like, right. so I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm really hopeful that it all works out. Um, and I, I think it's, I mean, Natasha Claus in charge. It's not going to be that bad. Right. Oh, the kitty cat. Oh, it's Dewey. He had Dewey. <laughs> He's having an appearance. Anyway, Dewey on the podcast. No, I, I know. He loves the lights. Anyway, yeah, I think it's going to be an amazing opportunity too for for the players, you know, just to be able to to be home because it, it was tough, you know, to be that far away, you know, and I didn't have to come back and and play in the WNBA, unfortunately. But if that were the case, she could have. I mean, I don't know. I would have been, uh, you know, 11th man, but I would have may have been able to make a roster. Who knows? But um, but it was it was a lot of fun to go over there. So there's a lot to be said for, you know, being kind of pushed into a, a different culture. And my coaches didn't speak English and I had to it's make do it, right? make make do it 22. And, you're, you know, it was love and basketball. It was all about the love of the game. So, I mean, if the love of the game can keep you at home, I'm all for that, too. I think it's going to be exciting to watch that unfold for sure. I'm I'm super I'm super excited, and we'll we'll get to uh, hopefully we'll be talking about it right here on courtside. Oh, we forgot to do the social things. Darn it! Every time oh. I try to put it in the middle, if I don't do it at the beginning, I forget. But follow us on Twitter at Her Hoop Stats. Make sure you go to our YouTube page and subscribe to the YouTube page. Like all our videos. That makes me very happy because I run the YouTube page. So if you like <laughs> me, do me a favor, go over there and subscribe. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Gabe underscore Ibrahim. Christy, where can the people follow you on Twitter? At Christy, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y-W Scott 51 on Twitter and Instagram. All hoops all the time. Sprinkling of my babies on there as well, but they play basketball too. So there's that. Um, anyway, yeah, it's been a blast sitting here, chopping it up with you courtside, Gabe. And oh my goodness, I cannot wait for game two and hopefully all the way through to game five. Let's keep our fingers crossed for an extended series with Chicago and Phoenix. We're going to bring it all to you right here on courtside with Christy and Gabe on the Her Hoop Stats podcast network. I am Christy Winter Scott. For Gabe Ibrahim, I'd like to say thank you all for joining us for this edition of Courtside with Christy and Gabe.